Tonight we're doing something special. I wanted to do a Christmas message with Sunday night. So I actually only wrote one sermon today. And, and this is a unique day. It's kind of fun to be able to do the same sermon all the way through. Uh, but uh, we're going to be looking at a Christmas message. We will resume Romans uh, the second Sunday of January. So we'll pick back in Romans uh, on the second Sunday in January uh, there in Romans 11. But uh, definitely for some of the things that we'll be learning today, go right along with what you've been learning in Romans. So we're going to have a scripture reading from John chapter 1 this evening. And uh, we'll be starting out in verse 4 and through 13. So I'm going to read from the ESV tonight. And the reason I'm choosing the ESV is it's just a little bit simpler. Uh, I I like some of the word choices a little bit better. uh, And it helps me not explain so much as far as like Greek grammar and usage. So so we're going to just start there. Uh, So John chapter 1, starting at verse 4, here's the word of the Lord. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. May God add his blessing in the reading of his holy word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you that you've brought us here. And Lord, for all those who aren't here with us tonight, we just ask that you'd be with them. If they're sick, Lord, we ask for your healing hand upon them. Lord, if they're hurting, we ask for you to comfort. Lord, if they're visiting or, or having holiday parties uh, or getting together with family, Lord, just bless them and uh, bring everyone back uh, afterwards. And Lord, for all those who are, are sick in our congregation, we just ask that you might strengthen them up. We pray, Lord God, that you would heal them. And we just thank you, Lord, that you are always with us, Lord, that you never abandon us. And so now as we enter into your word, we pray that you might teach us, give us instruction, and Lord, please just lift up those who are, are down right now. Uh, during this season where everyone's happy, I pray that you might encourage hearts. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> Friday night, uh, the youth group was holding a, their cheesy Christmas party, and it was ridiculous the amount of cheese that was in that room. Uh, what was more concerning was what they did with all that cheese. I mean, they had cheese sculptures and cheese everything. Uh, they, I mean, they just did all sorts of stuff. They, they were playing like Pictionary by molding Velveeta cheese. And uh, their hands were all crazy. But while I was here, uh, we happened to bump into some other families, and we made a decision to, hey, let's, let's go down and walk down Pine Street and just enjoy the Christmas lights. And, uh, you know, it's so beautiful. Anybody been down Pine Street yet this year? Uh, it's so beautiful. I, I love going down it multiple times at, here in Orange. And, and uh, we just walked down and enjoyed the, those beautifully decorated houses. And it's always a joy to look at Christmas lights. And you know who we can thank for that? We can thank Edward Hibbard 
Johnson for, for the electric Christmas lights that we have today and on our trees. You see, prior to 1882, Christmas trees were lit momentarily at Christmas with candles. In fact, uh, legend or lore has it that Martin Luther and his family all gathered around a candlelit Christmas tree. And here's a, a steel engraving of Martin Luther and his family from the 1800s. Not sure if that's legitimate or not, but that's how it was portrayed with candles lit on a tree and, and the family gathered together. And I'm sure that it would be quite a spectacle to have these lit candles on a Christmas tree. It'd be really beautiful, but I'm sure you can imagine how that went. In fact, I'm sure Nick right now is cringing at the idea of being a firefighter. But, <laughs> but every year, as you, as you imagine, houses burnt down. In fact, there's lots of newspaper articles about houses being burnt down because trees caught on fire from candles. And uh, quite sad. But Edward Johnson, who worked for Thomas Edison, and actually at one time Thomas Edison worked for Edward Johnson, but Thomas Edison was the genius and Edward ended up working under him. Well, Edward Johnson had a brilliant idea to light his Christmas tree with miniature electric bulbs. He would wire together white, red, and blue bulbs, making a string of 80 brilliant lights, wrapping them around his Christmas tree. But you know, that wasn't enough for him for the window of his New York home. You see, he had the same problem that you and I still experience today. What about the back of the Christmas tree? We decorated that too. Who's going to see the back? So Edward Johnson put his Christmas tree on a little pine box pedestal that could spin, and he hooked up a generator, and the tree would, the lighted tree would turn in his window six revolutions per minute, so all passing by could see this beautiful Christmas tree. It was described as a continuous twinkling of dancing color. And I need not tell you, uh, one reporter said, I need not tell you that the scintillating evergreen was a pretty sight. One can hardly imagine anything prettier. Well, unknowingly, Edward Johnson also launched another tradition along with lighting Christmas trees with electricity. You see, he also launched the tradition of trying to one-up your neighbor. Uh, As electricity came to the mansions of Manhattan, the socialites were willing to pay $12, which would be about $300 today, to have their trees decorated by electricians with these miniature Edison bulb strands. And this is a little ad from the General Electric Company, $12 there in the bottom. You probably can't see it, but, but uh, they would decorate your tree. You know, today in the age of blow-up yard decorations, but which, by the way, I, I don't even, some of these, yard, uh, they're, they're interesting, but they have very little to do with Christmas. Uh, I saw an elephant with Santa Claus on top of it uh, the other day, and I mean, it was cool, but I had no idea what it really had to do with Christmas. Uh, and with this age of blow-up yard decorations that we don't really understand how it relates to Christmas, Christmas lights are still a tradition that call us to remember Jesus Christ, the light of the world. I mean, that's the whole purpose for putting up lights, that we might remember that the light of the world has come into the world. And this morning, or this evening, as we look at John's birth of Jesus' account, which is very different from Matthew and Luke, I want to focus in on one verse. You see, the Apostle John's account of the birth of Jesus 
is not only different from Matthew and Luke, but I think verse 9 of chapter 1 summarizes the birth of Christ in John's gospel. This is what it says in 1 verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. As we gather from the context, John is referring is not referring to electromagnetic radiation, which we perceive with our eyes. But, but when he speaks about light, he's speaking about something very different. He's actually speaking about, uh, I, I'm referring to the properties and effects of light, uh, and those are found in a person. You see, light illuminates, it enlightens, it benefits, and it's enlivening for all mankind. Light reveals truth. Light penetrates darkness. We, can't, we can understand the truth both physically and spiritually as light is shine. Light also exposes and strips away the darkness. Light makes our path sure and keeps us from stumbling or getting lost both physically and spiritually. And what better solution for a troubled world and troubled times than light? Let God's light shine into our lives because the world certainly needs light. I was on the CDC website trying to understand uh, if the uh, suicide rate was starting to drop now that people have gone back to work and gone back to schools. But sadly, and most alarming, the suicide rate in the USA is actually only climbing still. People are troubled. People are, are, are find, finding themselves less loved uh, more questioning their purpose and their reason for being, uh, not, not believing that they have value more and more. And we need God's light in our lives. There are many who offer light, but let me tell you this, only Jesus is the genuine light of the world. You see, Jesus came to reveal the truth, and John refers to him as the true light. In fact, we're going to just look, really focus on Verse 9 of this passage, I know we read a, a larger passage tonight, but part of that is to help you get context. But verse 9 is packed full of amazing truth about the purpose for Christ's coming. You see, luminaries, gurus, psychologists, politicians, preachers, teachers, and even prophets are not the true light. Some give testimony to the true light, but some give false testimony to the true light, false testimony about themselves. And John wants to make a point of helping us zero in here on the true light. Look at verse six, verses six through eight here of chapter one. The apostle John writes this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's speaking of John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He was not the light. I'm sorry, I skipped it. Bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The apostle wants us to know right off the bat that John the Baptist is not the light. John the Baptist was a prophet, no doubt about that, but he was not the light. He was a testimony of the light. John the Baptist was a reflection of the true light. You see, the apostle doesn't want us to make uh, the mistake of looking to a prophet for the genuine light because that was Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, as well as all the other prophets, the feasts of Israel, the covenants, all these things were reflections of Jesus Christ, 
They are the moon to the sun. I mean, consider this. If you had never seen the sun and all you saw was that full moon reflecting the light of the sun, oh, it's impressive. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's engaging as you see the light. And, and actually, during a full moon on a clear night, you can see quite a lot. But you know what? When that sun rises... What a difference. It pales in comparison. Nothing compares to to the sun. And when you see that true light, you know right away that that there is a difference. And so, so it was with all the prophets who came before Jesus. Moses prophesies about Jesus in Numbers 24, 17. He writes this, I see him, but not now. Oh, there you go. Uh, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Moses prophesied about the coming light, this star out of Jacob. Isaiah also prophesied about Jesus, the true light, speaking this. uh, Chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. By the way, this chapter in Isaiah is chock full of prophecies about Messiah, about Jesus Christ. In fact, this is where the prophecy comes forth that tells us that the the Messiah will be born of the virgin, that the virgin will be with child and bear a son. But Isaiah wanted us to know that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Now, as I said earlier, there are luminaries out there, there are gurus, there are politicians, there are preachers, there are teachers and prophets, there there are lots who claim to have light, but they are not the genuine light. You might even have friends who claim to have light, but they are not the genuine light. And what we need is the genuine, the true light in our lives. Spurgeon, the famous preacher, wrote, If any man be taught in the things of God, he must derive his light from the star of Bethlehem. You may go as you will to the universities, to the books of the learned, to the schools of the philosophers, but in spiritual things, you receive no light until you look up to Jesus. And then in his light, you see light. For there is transcendent brightness in him. He is the wisdom of God as well as the power of God. And oh, do we need Jesus in our lives. You know, we can really get off track. We can be meaningful and feel that we're going the right direction. But without the true light enlightening us, we can get way off and go the wrong way. Uh, The first week in November, I went back up to the Fraser Park area in hopes to harvest my deer tag and, and punch it. Uh, you see, the, the week before, I had gone out with Scott O'Brien, one of our elders. At, well, you all know Scott. Uh, and uh, I, I went out with him, and we, we tracked, and we found all sorts of evidence of deer, but we failed to get a deer. And so I decided, you know what, the season was ending the following Sunday. So I said, all right, I'm going to leave on Thursday after work. I'm going to drive up there, and I'll try on Friday morning to, to punch my tag and come home with a deer one more try. And uh, just so you know, if you're a lover of Bambi, I was not successful. Anyway, <laughs> I, I too am a lover of Bambi, just in a different way. So, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but uh, so I, I left, uh, drove up there in the afternoon, and it had snowed that night, and drove down into a canyon. And I had done a lot of virtual scouting. I'd been on Google Earth and looked all around, and I, I think I found, I thought I had a good spot picked out for looking for a deer. Uh, so I decided that I would, I would get up at, in the morning and take my quad down to the end of this canyon and work my way around up on a ridge line to a, a canyon that was harder to access. Uh, harder to access meant more opportunities uh, uh, to try to get a deer. Well, in the morning, 4 a.m., got up freezing and made my coffee, got on my quad, had all my gear packed up, drove down to the end of this canyon, left the quad, got off, I put on my headlamp, and I, I was hiking with this little red light because I was thinking maybe it'll give me a little better chances. I'll just be quiet and move along. So I was hiking for a little bit, climbing uphill. Uh, you know, I checked my GPS at first before I started out, and that was good placement. As I hiked, something didn't seem right. And so I decided to turn my headlamp on full brightness so I could look around. So I turned it on, and I'm looking around, and all of a sudden I realize I'm totally hiking in the wrong place. I had gotten turned around, and I was actually just hiking back up the canyon. I had just come down on my quad. I, I, I completely missed uh, coming around the ridge line and getting up on top of it. And so I had to scale this ridge and get up over it. And, of course, uh, I, once I finally got there, I sat down, but I couldn't see anything. So I had no idea if I was even in a good spot. This was just something I had tried to look on on the computer. So there I waited in the dark, shivering for the sun to come up and share light. But we can often think we're going the right direction and be sincerely and totally wrong. And it's important for us to be able to shed light on our situation. And that's exactly what Christ did, does. If my light had, would not have had those brighter settings, I would have never realized I was walking in that wrong direction. And we learn in this passage that Jesus is the true or genuine light. You know, Jesus uses the word true of himself two other times in John's gospel. And, and the word is not so much about a fact being true or false, but it's really about the genuineness of his person. Let me point out a couple of verses to you. John six thirty two, Jesus uses this word true. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, Moses, if you remember, inter interceded on behalf of the people who were hungry, and God provided manna to, to the people Israel in their wilderness wanderings. Forty years, Israel never had to worry about hunger, but God provided that, that manna, that bread from heaven, for 40 years. And now Jesus says, well, I'm actually the true manna. I'm the true bread. That manna was only a reflection of me, what is to come. You see, if we want to be nourished, we have to look to Jesus. That's the statement he was making. He is the genuine bread. Then in John 15, 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. What does that mean? I am the true vine. I, I, I know we have some understanding of that, but we have to go back to the Old Testament to really understand this passage. You see, the vine is often referred to as Israel. God refers to Israel as his vine. 
uh, throughout the Old Testament. I'm bringing my vine out of Egypt and planting it. And, and that is another name for Israel. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, and, and, and my father is the vine dresser, Jesus is saying, I'm the true Israel, the true Israelite. If you want to be in me, if you want to be an Israelite, you've got to be in me. And we just looked at that in Romans a couple weeks ago. Jesus is the genuine vine, and his father is the vine dresser. Jonathan Edwards writes this, There is not now, ever was, nor will be any man in the world enlightened but by Jesus Christ. Every man that comes into the world, whoever is enlightened, is enlightened by him. Jesus is the true, genuine light, the ultimate self-disclosure of God to man. And if we want to know God, we must know Jesus Christ. You see, only Jesus offers that true light to our lives. John 1, 9 says, the, the true light, which gives light to everyone. I want to focus in on that next part of the verse, which gives light to everyone. You see, light also exposes and it strips away the darkness. It eliminates the darkness both physically and spiritually. And I want you to realize that God really wants you to receive his light. He's gone at great lengths that you might not mistake his light for any other light. That you would know he is the light. In fact, Jesus is referred to throughout the scriptures as a type of light. Let me share some of these passages. Of course, we read Isaiah 9 2. It said, a great light. Numbers 24, 17 was a star. He's called the son of S-U-N of righteousness in Malachi 4.2. He's the day spring from on high in Luke 1.78. He's a light to the Gentiles in Luke 2.32. The light of men in John 1 verse 4. The true light as we're reading now in John 1.9. The light of the world in John 8.12. A light come into the world in John twelve forty six. Second Peter one nineteen calls him. Peter refers to him as the day star, and in Revelation two twenty eight he's called the morning star, and in Revelation twenty two sixteen the bright and morning star. You see, the birth of Christ and the coming of Christ is a contrast to everything around him. And that's what light does. When light appears, it contrasts everything. See, light is actually a substance, and darkness is is the absence of light. And when light appears, wow, you can see it. I was driving from Kakuma, Kenya, uh, back about three hours south, back to take a plane back to Nairobi last year. And and uh, we got up early in the morning. It was all dark. And I, I uh, called my wife because it happened to be a good time here. I think she was getting off work from work here. And uh, so before I left, it was, uh, you know, I got up at 3.30 a.m. To, to get on this bus thing and, and head back. And uh, anyway, I said goodbye. I said, I'll, I'll call you when I get to Nairobi. And so <clears throat> we started driving. And as the sun started coming up, the the sky just got really blue. It was it was against a desert landscape there in northern Kenya. And uh, I looked up to my left, and I saw this bright star in the sky. 
It was that bright morning star. And uh, man, you could see it so well. I think it was Venus. But, but you'd see that star so well. I mean, it contrasted everything. And, and there was no way you could miss it if you just look at it because it was so bright. Jesus is the morning star. He contrasts with the people to whom he came. Matthew says that Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy when, when he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum by the sea. Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah from chapter 9 and says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. The people dwelling in darkness, who were they? I think that's important to ask. Did, did Jesus just come to shine his light among uh, Capernaum and the cities around Galilee? Was, was, was that the goal of Jesus, to show up and, and shine light there? Were they the people in darkness? Or was the people in darkness Israel? Certainly it's worth asking these questions. But listen, I think it's very clear from the scriptures that the people dwelling in darkness is all of mankind, all those born into sin. John eight twelve it says, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You got John eight twelve there? Uh, <clears throat> uh, well, I guess not. Okay, there it is. Nope, that's John three sixteen. Well, we're going to get there eventually. <laughs> I, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus gives this beautiful invitation, and, and his light shines on every man. You know, it actually divides the race of men. I don't know if you ever thought about but but God is actually racist. And what do I mean by that? Well, he divides up the race of men into two groups. There's those who hate the light and those who love the light. You see, those who hate the light, they respond as the world does. They flee uh, otherwise, their deeds should be exposed by the light. The witness that comes from the light of Jesus demands a response from us. You see, when the light exposes the corruption and sin that's in everyone's heart, some of them act like cockroaches when the light is flipped on. They just scurry away to get away from the light for fear that their evil deeds might be exposed. But to those who receive this res- re- revelation, They welcome the light, knowing that it's for their healing and good. The person of Jesus is a really polarizing figure when we read about him in the Gospels. You know, Jesus uh, will either be extremely hated or he's going to be extremely loved. People respond to him as the most affectionate person they've ever met in their life, the most gentle and kind. And it's so strange that one person could have such different reactions to him. And I I think there's a story in the Gospel of Luke that really summarizes an event where Jesus is, we can see this polarization. You see, a Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus over to his house to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and Jesus reclined at the table. And we we read in Luke that a woman of the city who was a sinner... Uh, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought this alabaster oint, flask of ointment. 
And standing behind him at the house, uh, behind him at his feet, she began weeping. And as she began weeping, she, her tears actually wet his feet. And then she, she started doing this, uh, the, uh, the, in a way, a little bit of an unthinkable thing. She took her hair and started wiping his feet with her hair. I mean, it was quite an impromptu moment. What was this woman doing? You know, I, I know a little bit about women and hair. I've been married for 25 years. And uh, my wife's hair is important, and I appreciate that she loves to do her hair. Uh, and, and I know that my wife, I've never caught my wife uh, wiping down the kitchen counters with her hair. Just never seen that. Uh, and, and I also know that when my wife is doing her hair, if she says she's ready to go, but she's still holding a hairbrush, we, we've got some time. So we're gonna, I'm not going to ask at all. I'm just going to be patient. But, but, I, but I know, and if you're a woman in here, you know that the thought of cleaning up dirt with your hair is unthinkable. But yet this woman was so moved by the kindness of Christ that here she is just weeping and, and this impromptu, oh, I've got your feet wet with my tears, let me wipe them, as she's caring for, for Jesus who's cared so much for her. Now, then she takes that ointment. That ointment that's intended for heads, not for feet. Feet walk through dirt all day long. Feet you wash, but you don't anoint feet. It's a waste of money. Ointment, that oil is precious, it's expensive, and it's used for heads to freshen up and perfume. Not, not, not for feet, but here she is. She just takes that ointment and starts pouring it on his feet over that area where she had been crying on. And she kissed his feet. The love that this woman expressed to Jesus. And, and then we see the opposite reaction. That Pharisee, when he saw him, with this woman doing this, he, he said, well, if this man would have been, were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is. And, and, and who is touching him? For she is a sinner. And you know what? There are true, true statements in that. It's a totally wrong reaction, but it is true that Jesus is no mere prophet. He's the Son of God, God incarnate. And he's also right that that woman is a sinner, but I love how Jesus responds to her. He, he actually corrects Simon. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. You, you didn't even allow me to clean my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You see, Simon had no intention of really welcoming Jesus. And in fact, as we read this, what Jesus says, we see that Simon was actually a pretty poor host to Jesus. He went on to say, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus revealing his nature to each and every one that night. But it was the woman who got it. It was that sinner who understood it. John 
Jesus said, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. John three nineteen. 19. Uh, <clears throat> there we go. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I hope you're one like that woman who recognizes that Jesus is the light and you need him. By the way, did you notice that it says, which gives light to everyone? There's also that word everyone there. And, and in the Greek, there's a subtle uh, interpretation that we can make of this. Actually, no, strike that. It's not subtle. It's actually radical. And it means all. That's it. It means all. That, the word means all. Everyone is enlightened by G, uh, Jesus Christ. That, that light enlightens each and every, gives light to each and every man. You see, the true light, the genuine light of Jesus enlightens what, not just for Israel or a particular group, but Jesus came to offer light to the world. And that's the last part of this verse. It says, was coming into the world. The light of Jesus makes a path, our path sure, and it leads us to eternal life and how important that is. It actually answers that question, what happens after I die? Where am I going? Uh, is there life after death? And absolutely yes, when you believe in Jesus. John writes in his birth announcement of Jesus was coming into the world. And the word world, cosmos in Greek, it, it, cosmos can actually have a few different meanings. Much like English language, we have words that have different meanings. And, and sometimes those meanings can all seem so different. The only way to know what the, the meaning is is to understand it in context. And so the word cosmos can mean the planet, as in the earth. It can mean the whole universe. It can mean an orderly arrangement of creation. It can mean the sum total of all beings, which would include even the angels. It can mean humanity in general. And there are a few more definitions. But in context, when we read verse 9 in context, world, it, it could actually be referring to the earth as, as uh, just to give us this contrast of the preexistent Christ leaving heaven and being born a man. Certainly that could be coming into the world, just leaving heaven. But I think the definition is actually much greater in scope. And, and it has a much deeper meaning. Let me point, show you a little bit of how John uses this word in his gospel. And I'm just going to give you a couple examples. First, in John 1, verses 10 through 11, we read, which is the same passage here, the very next verse after verse 9. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. Okay, so we might think, oh, well, maybe that is talking about the planet. But then it says, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So right there in context, we see that world is more than the planet. Uh, the, the world didn't know him. I, I don't think the planet is capable of knowing or unknowing. In fact, John seventeen fourteen, we read, I have given them your word, and the world was hated, has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Well, there again, as we read in John 17, 14, we see that the world hated them. The, world's not, the earth is not capable of hating. 
uh, or loving. Uh, so this is much greater than just the world or the earth. We're talking about uh, the inhabited earth, fallen in sin and in rebellion against God. It is the world of humanity darkened by sin. And of course, John three sixteen and 17, we, we really understand it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is good news. You no longer have to walk in darkness. This gift of light of Jesus Christ is for each and every one, not for a select group. It's light given to every man that we can embrace, that we can receive. We no longer have to stumble in the darkness. We no longer have to suffer from a guilty conscience. We no longer have to hide. We no longer have to deal with broken relationship after broken relationship. We can actually have light in our lives. We can be freed from our addictions, freed from our sin. Our sin. We can be made new in Christ. John twelve forty six. Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Dear friends, this is an invitation to you. This is an invitation for you. You can receive Jesus today and have eternal life. And I don't know where you're at in your life. I assume most of you who come here are Christians coming to church on Sunday night. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're just listen, but you're numb to it all. Well, don't do that tonight. You see, Christ has come into the world to illuminate your life. He brings value to your person, purpose to your life, and understanding to your mind. It is only Christ who can do this. Listen, for some of you Christians, you may feel as though the light did not endure in your life. You may feel that the light ran out of batteries and you've been hiking up the wrong canyon. I don't think that's true. In fact, I think what happened was you turned off the switch. You chose to go the wrong direction and stay in the wrong direction. When Edward Johnson trimmed his Christmas tree with electric lights, most houses in New York at that time didn't have electricity. But today, every modern house is wired with electricity. It provides all the energy needed to illuminate the entire house. There's no longer a need for a single dark corner in our houses today. We need only flip a switch and light. But you know, you don't have to do that. You don't have to flip the switch. You can choose to live in darkness. That's your choice. But I want to encourage you to flip that switch. You come back to the light Don't continue walking your way, but really turn from that darkness and turn toward Christ. Allow Christ's light to illuminate your life. Christ was born here below that you and I might be born from above. We sing that song, Noel, tonight, and I love some of the verses of that song. I I love all the Christmas carols. They're really so beautiful and what they teach and and, and the words, but in Noel, it, it, later on, and I'm not going to sing because I just 
I would exhaust my gifts uh, if I sang to <laughs> But it says, they looked up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far. And to the earth it gave great light. And so it continued both day and night. Noel, 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 born is the king of Israel. And by the light of that same star, three wise men came from country far. To seek for a king was their intent, and to follow the star wherever it went. Noel, 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 born is the king of Israel. Oh, those wise men seeking from country far, that light. I I pray that this Christmas season you'll do this very same thing that you'll allow Christ to just illuminate your life and flood your mind and your heart with his beautiful light. And I, I pray that when you see Christmas lights, that you'll remember the true light of Jesus Christ, that it might be a testimony of Christ's wonderful light for you. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, Father, we thank you for this time together in your word. And Lord, we we thank you for your light in our lives. And if you've been walking up that wrong canyon, and you've you've shut off that switch, and you've been going your own way, I want to encourage you, you confess that to the Lord right now. Repent of it, and turn back to him. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for my anger. Forgive me for my tongue. Forgive me for my pride. For my lust. My addictions. Lord, heal me. I need your light in my life. I'm sorry, Lord, for going my own way, for trying to turn off that switch. I turn from it now. And I thank you for your love. And if you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me encourage you to pray this right now. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I want to know you. I want, I want eternal life. Thank you for dying on that cross for me that I might have life. Come into my life. Light up my heart and my mind. Lord, remove any darkness from me and help me to follow you. I thank you. Lord, we're so grateful. Can't help but think about the image of that woman, the sinner whom you welcomed. And here we are, Lord. We thank you that you welcome us. We ask your blessing now in this congregation. Lord, may you comfort, may you shine light. Lord, those who are hurting, may you heal. Whether it be physical or emotional or spiritual, Lord, we ask for your light in our lives. And we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.